Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. A reminder, as you're making your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate link. And if you go through johnnydollarair.com, part of your purchase price benefits the great detectives of old time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Well, now let's get into this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, the original air date, January 5th, 1954, and the title is The Fairway Matter. For your listening environment, John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. That, that plane crash, Johnny. Did you hear yeah, I just turned off my radio. It's horrible. Who is this? Oh, I'm sorry. Sam Harris, Columbia. Oh, yeah, sure. Does your company carry the policies in that airline? Yes, but I'm not thinking of that. That crash was planned. Oh, they're definite about it now? Yes, an explosion. Some kind of a bomb. There were 13 people killed in the plane, and they don't know how many in the house it crashed into. We've got to place responsibility. The company wants to do whatever it can. We've got to find whoever is responsible. Yeah, sure, Mr. Harris. You want me to go out there? Yes, we do. The airline representative is a man named Reed. Go out and do everything you can. Now, for just a moment, what do you say we take time out to talk about Star Roof? Never heard of them? Well, I don't suppose many of us have, but they exist all right. Now, those of us who live in cities or in other localities where regular letter carriers drop off our mail probably never wonder how mail is handled in places where almost no one lives, where there's hardly anything and not much reason for going there. But there is someone who thought about it and did something about it, our Postmaster General. He saw to it that folks who live in these out-of-the-way places received their mail. Of course, the post office doesn't operate regular mail routes to these places because there isn't enough mail to warrant a regular postman. But the people in isolated spots, such as prospectors in the Nevada mountains, or trappers in the Alaska wilderness, or Louisiana bayous, are entitled to their mail. That's why the post office department has set up a system of contracting responsible agencies to deliver mail to out-of-the-way places. These special mailmen follow what are known as star routes. Deliveries are made usually to mailboxes similar to RFD boxes that stand in the middle of some barren waste or along a rarely traveled river. Star route carriers use cars, horses, mules, rowboats, dog sleds, or airplanes, whatever they need to deliver the mail. Sometimes they even walk. Yes, the job of the Star Route Postman is a rugged one. And our hats are off to these little publicized employees of our United States Post Office Department. (laughs) 
Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Columbia Risk Insurance Company. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the fairway matter. Expense account item one, 250. Cab fare to the scene of the plane crash, which, as you know, covered quite a bit of territory. The fairway airline's plane had taken off at 8.20 p.m., had reached an altitude of no more than 600 feet, and then had crashed, setting two houses afire a short distance from the Springfield-Hartford Airport. I got there a little after 9.30. One house had been partially saved, but the other had been completely demolished. The family of four living in it had been killed. The parents of one child in the first house were not expected to live. And beyond, twisted pieces of the plane were scattered across the field. Fragments still smoking turned white by the foam from chemical extinguishers. Mr. Reed? Mr. Carl Reed? Mr. Carl Reed? Excuse me, Mrs. Goodyear. There are some things I have to do. Uh, come along, Mr. Dollar. She doesn't know about the explosion. She thinks there's a chance her daughter wasn't on the plane, but she was. She was a stewardess. You haven't told her? I can let her hope for a couple more hours. No, oh, I shouldn't. I, I've had to tell so many people. Oh, it's horrible. Horrible. I think even worse than if it had been an accident. When you know it was premeditated, when you know someone planned it, what kind of a person would you have to be to plan something like this? Yeah, it's hard to believe, Mr. Reed. But we have proof. There was an explosion in an extreme aftersection that destroyed all the control cables to the tail assembly. I don't suppose the Civil Aeronautics man is here yet, huh? No, no, but he's on his way. They're sending one of their best. S.W. Newton. Uh, Captain Lenhardt of the state police is here, though. Oh? Well, I'd like to talk to him then. Do you have any idea where he is? Well, uh, the, the last I saw him, he was over there by that... Uh... Oh, Smith. Uh, but see the group of men over by the hangar? Yeah. They, he might be there. They... They collected the bodies. Yeah. Made as, as many identifications as possible. Look, I know it's bad, Mr. Reed, but don't you go to pieces. That wouldn't help at all. I, I'll be all right. I'll see you later. Yeah. I remembered Captain Jim Lenhardt from a case we'd shared last year, and I found him in the group of silent men. Their silence and their expressions told better than words how they felt about the row of sheet-draped bodies on the ground. I was Reed making out. I thought he was going to pieces a little while ago. Well, he's still in pretty bad shape. He's not alone. But it might have been worse. Plane could have been filled. Yeah. Well, I guess our approach will be to try to find out which victim was the planned victim. Well, with what we have now, I don't see any other way to start, do you? No. The possibilities as I see them are murder with a motive, 
Disguised suicide or a homicidal maniac. That must cover it. I have men covering the airport in a two-mile circle around it. Their orders are to question everybody they spot and search every car. I think that's about all we can do tonight. Well, I'll see you in the morning, then. Sorry with you. Sure is. Glad to have you on the case. Meet you in my office at nine. Good. Uh, here's another ambulance. We can get the rest of these poor devils into the morgue and try to find out who they are. The next morning, the official findings were released. The explosive had been nitroglycerin. It had been detonated by some electrical means, which it was assumed was connected to a timing device that had not yet been found. Captain Lenhart's men had questioned a number of suspicious characters near the airport without result. But Lenhart himself had received an anonymous tip on a possible suspect, a Wilbur Wheeler, who was a member of the ground crew that had serviced the plane just before its takeoff. Wheeler was shown to the captain's office about 40 minutes after I'd gotten there. Why did you pick me to come up here? Why didn't you get Straker or, or Mills? They're over me. It's just routine, Wheeler. Routine? You must have a reason. I got a right to know if you got a reason, haven't I? Why do you think we started with you? Well, I'm asking you, aren't I? The stewardess who died in that crash, Shirley Goodhue. I knew her. We understand that she meant something to you. Weren't you in love with her? Yes. We understand you made quite a pest of yourself, phoning her at home and waiting for her at the airport. And then a week or so ago, you learned she was going to marry the co-pilot who was killed. Uh, what's his name? Bill Strand. Uh, Wasn't it, Wheeler? Yes. You're saying that you think I caused that crash. Well, you wanted to know why you were here. I told you it was just routine, Wheeler. And it would have been if you'd acted differently, but it sounds as though you're trying to hide some facts from us. I won't anymore. I... I don't have any reason to. Well, then why did you? Well, I don't know. I, I've been going crazy ever since I heard about it last night. I, I was still at the field. I got sick and I had to go home. We heard about that. I got home and, and turned on my radio. And then I heard what caused the crash, the, the explosion. And they knew that a, a lot of things I've said and a lot of things I've done were going to make trouble for me. He, even getting sick and coming home was bad. What were some of the other things? Well, I said some pretty bad things to Shirley when I heard she was going to marry Strand. And I had a fight with him. You had a fight with him over the same thing? I guess for me it was really over that. He ordered me around one day and I didn't like it. And that's how it started. He beat me up pretty bad. Said he'd have my job. And I told him that... I'd see the day his plane with him in it would be plastered all over some hill. I know what it sounds like now, but I, it didn't mean anything. It was just talk. It was plenty of that, all right. You heard enough, Dollar? I think so. And that's all, Wheeler. I can go? Yeah. Nobody'd be stupid enough to compromise himself the way you did and then pull a job like this? Right. I sure made a lot of mistakes. I know that. Yeah. Just be around where we can find you if we want to talk anymore. I... I can't go back to that airport, sir. I, I was going to call them and then quit. If it's all right with you. Just be where we can find you, that's all. I will. I, I'm sorry. A lot of people are, Whitley. Yes, sir. 
Collins, the man just leaving my office. Name is Wheeler. Wilbur Wheeler. Have two of the boys get on him and stay. I'll arrange to relieve them tonight. Oh? Yeah, thanks. What do you think? Well, I'd like to know what's in Wheeler's background. And I'd like to get a psychiatrist's reaction. Wouldn't you? We'll learn about him. Now, let's get on with this list of passengers and see what we can get from their survivors. We spent the rest of the day in the efforts of six more of Captain Lenhart's men preparing files on the ten dead passengers. One file contained nothing but a name, Rupert Stone, gotten from the ticket office records as that of a man who had paid cash for space to Augusta, Maine. The Hartford address he'd given was non-existent, and the phone number rang a bakery where no one had ever heard of a Rupert Stone. That one we dropped until the identification of the bodies was complete. Lenhart and I started out to follow up a couple of the others that evening. This is rotten work. Yeah, check. Mrs. Graham? Yes? This is Mr. Dollar, and I'm Captain Lenhart of the State Police. We'd like to talk to you about the death of your husband. No. No, I, I have talked too much. It only keeps in my mind the things I saw in that field and the women crying. We know, Mrs. Graham, but it's our job to fix the responsibility. We only want to ask you a few questions. You'd want to help find whoever caused all those deaths if you could, wouldn't you? How can I help? May we come in? All right. But only a little while. I, I haven't slept. Thank you. No, no, Skipper, be quiet. He knows, poor old dog. And very soon he will die. Then I will be alone. Oh, uh, please sit down. Thank you, Mrs. Graham. Thank you. Mrs. Graham, your husband... Yes? He, uh... He bought space to Boston, didn't he? Yes. Martin's brother is buried there. Martin was a religious man, and quite often he would go to visit his brother's grave. I see. And uh, I think, uh... That's all we needed, wasn't it, Dollar, to recheck his plan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was all. Then we better go. We're sorry we had to bother you, Mrs. Graham. And thanks very much for seeing us. All right. Thanks very much. Oh, don't bother to get up. You don't have to come to the door with me. Good night. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Graham. Quiet, Skipper. You won't come back. I think that dog did it. Sorry. Don't apologize to me. This hasn't happened to me since I was a rookie. Why don't we have a drink on the way downtown? Well, it suits me. You know Al's on Front Street? Yeah, that's fine. Any place. I'll phone in from there and have Collins check me off duty. Oh, 
wanted me. No, he had a phone. Here, I'll catch it. Dollar sixty, sir. That's good enough. Keep it. Oh, thank you. Oh, here he comes. Drink up, Dollar. Guess I'll have to waste mine because it seems I'm not off duty. What happened? We're back to that stewardess again. The explosive has been checked to her equipment. Lab men say some twisted metal they found used to be a first aid box and that it was in her flight bag. Well, that brings Wilbur Wheeler back again, too, huh? He's being picked up now. You know, many great men have attained the highest office in our land, the presidency of the United States. Can you guess the name of this man? He was a president of several firsts. He was the first vice president to become president through the death of the chief executive, the first president to be married in office, and the first president against whom impeachment proceedings were introduced. He graduated from William and Mary College at 17, and at 26 was elected to Congress. During his administration, a treaty was signed which opened the door to oriental trade for the first time. If you don't have his name by now, here's one more important clue. On the last day of his term, he signed a resolution providing for the annexation of Texas. Who was he? John Tyler, 10th President of the United States. His life is part of your American heritage. And now, with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The idea of being loaded into a police car twice in one day with everybody in the block gawking at me. A lot of people have been loaded into police cars today. They were glad to come in and do anything they could to help clear this up. Oh, I want to help, too. I didn't mean it that way. You're glad to hear that. How long have you worked for the Fairway Airline? Oh, about a year and a half, I think. What'd you do before that? I want to know why you're asking questions like that. Why did you bring me back here? Because some new evidence has turned up. That's why. Oh. What does it have to do with me? It has to do with Shirley Goodhue. Uh, I don't know what you mean. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I told you everything there was about her and me. Did you know that she carried a first aid kit aboard the plane last night? First aid kit? Uh, I don't know what you mean. You don't? After working there a year and a half? What did you do on the plane? Oh, Brought food on, checked the water, a few other things. Things that the stewardess would be involved in. She'd be there with you, wouldn't she? Yeah, but I don't know what you're driving at. I don't know what you mean. Where did she put her first aid kit, Wheeler? Why do you ask me that? I don't remember. I didn't notice. They had a place they kept it, but I didn't notice. Was it open? I don't know. What was in it? Well, if I knew what you meant, I... I don't know why you're asking me these things. Look, each stewardess has a kit. They take it off the plane when they leave, and they bring it aboard when they report for work. I don't know what you're talking about. The explosive, Wheeler, the nitroglycerin that was hidden in her first aid kit. I didn't put it there. That's what you mean, but, but I didn't do it. I don't know anything about it. Thirteen people in the plane, Wheeler. Four people in one of the houses that crashed. 
Probably two more in the other. I didn't do it. I didn't. I didn't do it. Wilbur Wheeler was turned over to the police psychiatrist. The web that was tightening around him was only circumstantial. And the question was, did he know that he could keep on saying he hadn't done it and that we couldn't do anything without physical proof? Or was he innocent? Our last move that night was to go to Wheeler's room. We were looking for a wire that could be checked to that used with the explosive. We didn't find that or anything else that could be a definite help. But a couple of things we didn't find seemed strange. Hey, he said he came home and turned on his radio. There isn't a radio here. A newspaper's dollar, see any? No, no, I don't. No, no, there aren't any. Unless he's got them out of sight someplace. Well, why would he do that? Nope. Not in the wastebasket. You'd think a man so close to this would want to find out what the papers were saying, wouldn't you? Guilty or innocent? Yeah. Well, I don't know, Dollar. I'm bushed. Let's drop it for tonight. The next day, Lenhardt and I talked to the psychiatrist, who'd spent a couple of hours with Wheeler. The doctor said that Wheeler was definitely suffering from a severe guilt complex. But whether that meant he had actually committed the crime or had only wished secretly that harm would come to Miss Goodyear wasn't clear yet. In terms of evidence, that meant nothing. The lack of a radio or newspaper in his room, the doctor tossed off as meaning merely that Wheeler was hiding from actuality. As Captain Lenhardt put it, If that doctor thinks he helped my mental condition, he's wrong. That afternoon, a development came from the fairway office of Carl Reed. He'd been unable to locate another of his stewardesses. And when finally he'd sent someone to her apartment, she'd been found, shot to death. We met Mr. Reed at the scene of the second crime. I, uh, I simply had to get back on the job today. Two of our flights were delayed yesterday because of my... Going to pieces. You better watch it now, Mr. Reed. I I don't know if I... Now, just take it easy. You tried to phone this girl and tell her to report for one of your flights. And when you sent somebody out here, she was found dead, huh? Yes, exactly. I I hadn't tried to contact Alice before because I... Well, I, I knew that she and Miss Goodyear had been close friends and that she must have felt almost responsible for her death. Why, Mr. Reed? Why? Well, she was scheduled for the flight the other night. I, I thought you knew that. No, no, we didn't. I wish we had. But I told you. That night at the scene of the crash. I was talking to her mother, Mrs. Goodyear. Yes, I remember that. You said she thought there was a chance her daughter wasn't on the plane. But I, I told you the other girl was scheduled. No, no, Mr. Reed. You made it sound like Mrs. Goodyear thought her daughter was on a different flight. You didn't say anything about another stewardess. Good Lord. It's all right, Mr. Reed. The human mind isn't infallible, but it can correct its mistakes. Tell us now. Well, that, that's all right. Well, with, with everything else, I, I, I suppose it didn't seem important. I, well, I, I know our procedure is less... Uh, well, less exact than the regular companies. I, you see, the, the girls often traded flights. 
When did you find out about this trade? Well, not until Mrs. Goodhue told me that her daughter had gone to work that night. You didn't discuss it with her by any chance? No, I... I didn't discuss it. Well, that night and all of it, I... Then I think we'd better go see Mrs. Goodhue, darling. I'll tell you anything I can. We've just learned that your daughter wasn't scheduled to be on that plane, Mrs. Goodhue. Well, no, she wasn't. We understand that she and Alice Turner exchanged flights quite often. But do you know how it happened the other night? No. Shirley was here at home and the phone rang. What time was that, please? Oh, I hardly remember. We'd had an early dinner and... The plane took off at 8.25. How long before then? Well, an hour at least. No, it was less than that because Shirley left in such a hurry. What did she say? Well, she said that one of the girls was sick and she was going to take her place on the flight. Just up to Maine and back. She said she said she'd be home soon after midnight. I've never liked rushed decisions and I've always worried when Shirley left in a hurry like that. She did it quite often? Yes, they, they all did it. Six of them live here in Hartford. I never liked it. Did she trade more often with Alice Turner than with the others, you know? Oh, I don't think so. It was an agreement. If one of them couldn't work, one of the others would fill in. Then it's possible that Alice Turner called some of the others before she called your daughter. Yes, it's quite possible. The horror of the crime led to the solving of it. Late that afternoon, I'd gone back to my apartment building, and in the corridor, just outside my door... Hey. hey. Your name, darling? Yeah. Can I help you? Hey, I want to talk to you. I think we'd better go inside. Well, I'm pretty busy. Yes, I know you are, but uh, I want to talk to you about the, the plane explosion. Oh. All right. Come on in. I can't stand it anymore. I, I read about Alice Turner this afternoon. I just can't stand it, that's all. What do you know about it? Well, is that all those people killed for nothing, and I'm partly to blame, too, and I'm ready to give myself up. Well, why did you come to me, then? Why didn't you go to the police? Well, you can talk to somebody like you. The police are always booing the case for the estate. Okay. They'll get you anyway. Yeah, but you'll know what I really said, see? All right, go ahead. His name is Church. Arthur Church. Who's Arthur Church? He's the chief pusher for a bigger narcotics outfit than you ever thought there were. We've had a few cranks in this case already. I know crank. What do you mean, Amak? Alice Turner was carrying the stuff for him. She wanted to get out. The church wouldn't let her. So she got smart and set up a meeting with a federal man the other night. And that's why she was killed and all the rest of them, too. Doesn't make sense. If she'd made this date, don't you think the federal authorities would have been in on this? Well, she didn't tell them who she was or what she did. How do you know of I'm the one that told her Church was on to her. I told her to drop it. Sure, not to go. That's my part of it. I told her Church was on to it and that he'd stop her some way. I told her to drop it, no matter what. I don't like it. No. Why would she put Shirley Goodhue on the spot? Alice didn't know what would happen. I did. Who could know that he'd do anything like this? Well, why did he? 
If what you say is true, we could have stopped her some other way. That's my doing, too. I kept her out of sight, you see, and the other night I told her not to do anything, to stay where she was, and not to go to the field, and, and then she believed me, and then she called Shirley Goodhue and told her she was sick, and that's why she didn't go. Do you know where the explosive was that wrecked the plane? Yes, yes I read today, the first aid kit. That's where Alice carried the stuff. Well, it was her kit. How did the good you girl get it? Yeah, because she was called at the last minute, you see, and Alice had her things in a locker at the field. Uh, oh, look, Mr. Dollar, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't telling the truth. It's a peddling rap for me, don't you see? But I've been reading these stories about the people that get killed and the families that are left, and I couldn't take it. Uh, I knew the truth, and then when Alice was killed, well, there was no reason for me not telling what I knew. Are you ready to go to the police? You heard what I got to say. I, I'm giving myself up, so... Do you know where this Arthur Church is? Yes, yes, yes. He, he and I live together. And you'll come with us? If I have to. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'll take you up. This is where I left him. You go in then. Tell him who's here. Uh. Just call him naturally. All right. All right. Award. Are you here? I'm here, yes. Account item two, miscellaneous, twenty-three dollars and forty-five cents. Expense account total, twenty-five dollars and ninety-five cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Welcome back. A solidly written story. This was another story that was originally done uh, during the O'Brien era. I think it's one of those stories that works just as well for O'Brien as it does for Lund. It plays very well into that sort of sensitivity that Lund would bring to his roles. And the story was good in dealing with the emotional impact of the crime, particularly on those who just had to deal with this much death uh, this quickly. It definitely does uh, take a toll, the whole cumulative effect, even with someone like a police officer who's used to having to inform people of deaths and ask questions. It gets to be a lot when you're dealing with so many. And I don't know whether he, it did seem to imply that he had to interact with all of the relatives, which I think be a lot. Can't help but to imagine in more modern circumstances that the duties would be divided up among several different officers to kind of mitigate that at least a little bit. The one thing that stood out to me immediately is that the questions or 
who committed the bombing were essentially limited to either it was an attempt to kill one of the passengers or the person was a lunatic. Terrorism wasn't even part of the discussion, which, you know, is unique uh, from my perspective because, you know, that's always been something, even before 9-11, that, you know, the potential for terrorist attacks on planes. Those uh, didn't really start up until the 1970s. While so many uh, uh, cases of planes exploding are unsolved, many were just simple homicides that were done without regards for the lives of uh, bystanders on the plane. And in one case, it was even an attempted suicide by setting off a bomb on a plane. Now, as I said, this is a script reuse, and we're going to have quite a few of these in the 1954 season. And really, that is all about economy and trying to find a way to keep a radio drama profitable. By 1954, television had been out-earning radio in terms of revenue for three years. To stay competitive, you needed to find ways to cut costs, and reusing the scripts was one way to do that. Now, whether it was a situation where they went back to the original writers and paid a smaller fee for a second performance, or if it was cared for in their uh, original contract where the script was uh, sold, I don't know. But it really was uh, something that was uh, quite popular to keep uh, shows uh, going. According to one researcher, Rocky Jordan uh, returned to the air in uh, 1952 and 53, and the log was essentially uh, many of the same episode titles as was used during the show's 48 to 50 run. We should also note that detective programs had, for the most part, begun to recede, particularly as the adult Western became the big trend in new programming. By this time, most of the great uh, detective programs were gone from the air. NBC still ran Dragnet, Barry Craig, and an experimental detective program they'd run for a season, generally a shorter season, something like 26 uh, weeks. CBS had this, and they had 21st Precinct. Mutual was trying a few things and seemed much more willing to launch new uh, audio drama programs, so had a spate of obscure police programs, some of which we found in episode or two for, and brought to us things like Squad Room. But again, I think the pickings were uh, slim overall, so it does say something that Johnny Dollar was still going after so many other programs uh, had uh, ended. All right, well, listener comments and feedback, and we start with a listener voicemail. <laughs> I just uh, found your podcast, and I thought I'd go ahead and call directly and wanted to say thank you. I uh, really loved your uh, your show. I'm a big fan of um, Nick Carter, and that's what kind of led me to this. So I uh, hope you're doing well, and appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much for the message. I'm so glad you found us, and uh, it's nice to hear, too, that you've 
found us through a series we haven't played in a few years. At least not as a regular feature. We did uh, feature a Nick Carter serial one of our uh, summer vacation weeks uh, a year ago. But it's great when folks find us as a result of series that we did years ago. And I, I just appreciated the message. It's been a challenging week. And friendly, encouraging words always welcome. Now, if you're wondering why I was chuckling a little at the beginning, that's because of a voicemail message which in which I read the opening to the Gerald Moore, Philip Marlowe program. You know, the... Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. Those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. I get some bewildered wrong number messages on that line. Now it is time to thank our Patreon supporters of the day. And being the first Monday of the month, we are going to thank Patreon supporters who have been supporting the program for five years this month. And we have three of them. So I want to go ahead and thank Ryan, supporting us currently at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. I want to thank Kelly, supporting us at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. And I want to thank Lisa, supporting us at the Rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for supporting the program for five years. Really appreciate all your years of support to the program. Now that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this program, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Good thing you were towing your horse trailer, Jace. Be a rough go on foot. That path looks like it gets plenty of use, though. Yeah, field hands use it for a shortcut to town when they're walking or mounted. Guess they figure three miles of this is better than eight miles of highway. And body's just up ahead. I rode down a ways to meet you when I heard your horse. You said something about somebody reporting Morales missing before the body was discovered. That's right. His wife came into my office yesterday and said he hadn't been home all night. Means he might have been killed the night before last. It seems that way. Oh, here we are. Oh, boy. Oh, Charky. <laughs> right in that thicket. Shotgun, huh? Yeah. Got it behind the head and through his back. Heavy charge. 12 gauge, probably. He just like he was found? Yeah. Wasn't killed here, then. Not killed here. Why not? We're at the head of the body. That means he'd have been walking this way, through the thicket, when he was shot. And he'd fall forward on his face toward us. Yeah, that's right. All right, now look at the thicket behind his feet. Direction he would have been coming from. What about it? It hasn't been disturbed. He couldn't walk through that thicket without breaking some of it down. Besides... He wouldn't be walking off the path. Oh, I see what you mean. He must have been on the path when he was shot then. Whoever gunned him, carried the body over this way, and dumped him into the thicket. Let's have a look at that path around here. Blood from his wounds should have left a mark someplace, a stain on the ground. Yeah. yeah nothing here. No sign of blood, no sign of the earth being scuffed over to hide it. No. Well, we're not going to find anything. Not around here. He'd been dumped when that wound was fresh. We'd have found something by now. He was brought in here after all the bleeding had stopped because somebody didn't want the body found where he was killed. I hope to see you then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. 
Instagram.com slash Great Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.